Making sure you and your loved ones can live comfortably in the future starts with choices you make today. At RBC Wealth Management, they can help you make the right choices in using the assets you've built up over a lifetime. Whether it's leaving something for your loved ones, enjoying your own retirement, or giving to a favorite charity, RBC Wealth Management will help you plan for the coming years and the coming generations. Call the Quigley Group at the Eau Claire office of RBC Wealth Management at 715-858-7788 to see how they can help. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. And welcome to another installment of Dose of Dog, a podcast brought to you by our folks over at Embark in Eau Claire. Hey, check them out on Facebook, check them out on social media, all of that. Embark's podcast right here, Dose of Dog, and our friend Heather is back to lead another program. Heather, how's it going? It's good. It's cold. <laughs> hey, by the way, we've talked about it on some previous podcasts and, and what have you. And go back and check all of those podcasts out. But at the time of this recording, uh, it is very, very cold. We're in the depths of winter. Uh, those doggies still need to get outside. You just got to be careful with it. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Especially <laughs> so today. Make- <laughs> so uh, again heather's talked about on other podcasts as well but uh, dogs like to be outside be smart about it uh when uh it's uh it's 10 degrees five degrees minus five minus 10 <laughs> and 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 what have you uh with uh with that always always sniff walking time uh if yes. you will uh, scott you've caught some good pointers <laughs> it, it, it 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 has a way of uh of sticking to you like peanut butter to the roof of a mouth, uh, some of the terms. Uh, now, today, Heather, you brought along a guest, and you guys are going to talk about uh, the proper training of bully breeds, uh, which I think is going to be very, uh, very interesting here. I think a number of people have what you would consider to be bully breeds, or maybe are sometimes intimidated uh, by those breeds of dogs. And I'm sure you and your guests are going to cover a lot of that. So I'll turn the the floor over to you guys. Oh, thanks, Scott. So, yes, uh, today I thought we'd, we'd, you guys are probably sick of listening to me. Um, so I brought in Brian Monroe, and he owns Brian Monroe Dog Training in South St. Paul. Right, Brian? Shakopee, South St. Paul? Correct. Um, and Brian has the um, same certifications that I do. So he's a certified professional dog trainer and a certified behavior consultant, which as we've talked about before, are very important when you're seeking out a professional to kind of look at qualifications and credentials because we live in kind of the wild, wild west of dog training where anyone, Scott could open a training school tomorrow um, and advocate methods that are not necessarily ethical. <laughs> so I think that is super important to to um, mention. Gosh, so I thought I'd bring Brian on today for a different, I guess, a little bit of a different voice. Um, in the dog training world, um, and to talk about breeds that I think historically there's been myths surrounding in terms of how you train them, how you deal with them, um, and, and possibly methods used. So, Brian, why don't you give us a little bit of your background in dogs, dog training experience, what you're working on, 
Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is my first podcast. So um, I've done other radio TV interviews and things like that, but I like this longer form. So I'm, I'm looking forward yeah. to this. Uh, my background is in animal sheltering. So I started working, I started working in an animal shelter 2011. Um, at the time it was sort of a mom and pops animal shelter. So it was very um, hands-on and that's really where I became interested in animal behavior and starting there, that kind of led to a training mentorship with a trainer down in Shakopee. That was in 2016. So I started basically doing that kind of on the side and balancing two jobs and that I was really missing working full-time in the animal sheltering world after um, I left that organization. So I ended up going to work for a different animal shelter that was more hands off, more of the people side. So I was kind of doing both things of training dogs in my part time and then doing the people side shelter management uh, full time. And uh, then I decided, you know what, I need to start my own business. So that's where I started in 2019, I think. Uh, so I've been doing that pretty much full time. I After having left my second animal shelter management job, I started doing that full time uh, early last year. So that's pretty much that's pretty much my growth or trajectory. Um, and the interest in animal behavior is, uh, you know, something that had developed, you know, about 10 years ago. And sort of looking at these dogs in these shelters and thinking, my gosh, this is, there's so much stress. There's so much fear, anxiety happening in this confined setting. Mm-hmm. We need to get them help. <laughs> so I had started doing shelter playgroups there and just got sucked into the behavior world. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, that's, that's sort of my background. I think too, you know, coming out of that world, it brings such an awesome component to dog training because a lot of people like me that came to it from like the competitive world aren't as, I guess, skilled at seeing like a lot of what that environment looks like for some of those dogs. So what a great background to bring to the industry. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, in the shelter world, there's a lot of pit bull dogs. There's a lot of those types of boxy headed dogs. And most of them, you know, who knows what the breeds actually are that are in the dog, but mm-hmm. uh, we a lot of times have to sort of guess for yeah. a while. The shelter I was working at was calling them American shelter dogs. Just oh, to, that's like, a great term. <laughs> some of the stigma, stigma away from it, but yeah. you know, yeah, they they definitely those dogs definitely have certain personality traits um, yes. from those various breeds and sort of that breed group, bulldogs and whatnot. Well, and so let's you know I really want to kind of talk about how. So I think there's like this perception out there that that those kind of breeds just need you know a lot of structure. I mean, we know the the, the keywords, right? Like, um, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you know those dogs need a lot of structure and they need to really understand who's alpha and all those kinds of things. And I think Brian, from your experience, what is it like to come into the dog training world as a man, number one, because I think you see a lot of the TikTok trainers and you see a lot of, you know, I guess 
often males out there advocating for dominance-based methods, especially with these kind of dogs. I mean, when you start advocating for more evidence-based methods, do you get a lot of slack for that? Um, I, I don't think so with, at least with my, my clients, I don't. And, um, I actually usually will put it into a human sort of analogy. Um, you know, I, and just to kind of go back a little, a little bit, I, when I started, I was really, uh, I had come from, like I said, I came from the animal sheltering background. So that was a very female dominated field as well. Yes. Animal rescue, animal sheltering, um, I think it goes along with the empathy, compassion, those sorts of personality traits. Um, so I was kind of used to it. So it wasn't really a shock in my mind. It was just sure. a, the sort of gradual transition. Um, but as far as the, as far as the aversive methods and, and why we, we might hear that myth of stronger, larger breeds need a, you know, a firmer hand. Mm-hmm. That's just not the case. Yes. <laughs> I mean, we, we wouldn't say that necessarily for humans, right? We look at the individual in front of us mm-hmm. and we, you know, sometimes we don't know their learning history. Sometimes we don't know, you know, get back to what I was saying, the specific breeds that are in that dog. Um, but we do the best we can to figure that out. And then we, we use reward-based methods. Um, those are the most effective methods. And, um, you know, it, just because a dog is, let's say, larger and stronger, that doesn't really impact their capacity for learning yes. right, and how they learn. So they're just maybe they might be the dog that just sort of runs in the room and knocks over, you know, the, you know, the chair or the, you know, whatever. Um, they're not. That doesn't mean that they can't learn. So Gosh, I love that statement. I feel like that should be a T-shirt. <laughs> the the just because they're bigger and stronger doesn't affect their capacity to learn I think that oh my gosh I mean if if we can get that statement out there that's amazing yeah I'd wear that (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt and in fact the the you know what does affect their capacity for learning as we know and we talk about all the time is dogs that are over threshold yes that have increased, you know, arousal or fear and anxiety. And that comes hand in hand with, you know, overuse of aversive methods or training. So it really becomes when you start using those methods more about escape and avoidance of an unpleasant experience. And that could be the training context, or that could be some other context that's, that's going on. Um, And I, I think you just look at the dog in front of you and you can, determine whether that dog's having fun or not. Well, and I think it, I, a lot of people out there, I know I've, I've talked about this, but you know, tell me what you just for everyone listening, like when we talk about arousal, cause I think sometimes people just think that means like hyper, like they're just hyper. Um, but dogs that are over aroused, give me some ideas of what that would look like. Cause I think sometimes people see, over arousal and they think it's the dog trying to be dominant or all of those myths right that we hear like you know well your dog is doing this so therefore so tell me what like if you saw if you could describe what over arousal would look like especially in like a bully breed because you know you and I both know because we studied ethology that a lot of the bully breeds I mean they're zero to 60 they're like ready to go and that's why everyone loves them they're like (laughs) 
turned on, you know? They're like, we're ready to roll. Where's the party? Um, which is why I think people love them so much because they're so clowns and comical and happy and, um, you know, kind of zero to 60 like Maseratis. <laughs> yep. There's no off. I mean, it's like it, there's no like letting off the pedal gradually. It's just like, <laughs> you know, full on pedal to the metal or, you know, passed out on the couch. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So describe I, what would over arousal look like that that I think people would think, or there's a myth that we we both are trying to change, um, you know, where people would say, well, we need to be alpha over this dog. What would that look like? What would like over arousal in a dog? So I'm glad you said over arousal because oftentimes I just shorthand it and say arousal, which is probably not a good way of saying that. Um, <laughs> Arousal is is in is a state that readies the dog for action, and that's the way I like to think of it. Yeah. Well, it's a physiological change that's occurring in the dog, and you know, there's some signs of that in terms of the body language, right? We have like, you know, imagine two dogs meeting each other for the first time. You know, you might see the hackles go up a little bit on the back of the dog, the piloerectus. You might see just a high tail flagging. <laughs> Right. The dogs are sort of like on on alert. Yep. And that is normal during an initial greeting for a lot of dogs, especially some of these bully breed dogs. Um, or really any dog. And so it 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 helps the dog ready for okay, what what am I doing next? And so we see that during play, during interplay between dogs all the time. Uh, at the play groups I ran at that first shelter I was talking about. Uh, we saw like go over arousal happening a lot in larger groups of dogs. Now it, that's not necessarily the best thing because it can be the fuel for aggressive behavior. Um, mm-hmm. That's the way Michael Shikashio talks about it. He's one of the experts on aggression in our field. Um, and I love that way of saying it's sort of the fuel for aggression because it's all about managing that arousal when it's, during play, during, you know, someone comes to your door, two dogs meeting for the first time, you know, walks on leash, your dog goes to daycare, managing that arousal there. So because for a lot of these dogs, as you talked about, they are oftentimes in this state of like constant over arousal. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can speak to this really anecdotally that <laughs> we see that all the times with these shelter dogs, you know. They get in this confined space. They're, you know, have a lot of strength. They have a lot of energy. They need to like get all that out. And then they're in this confined space. We take away their, their ability to make choices. We start impacting welfare, uh, depending on how long the dog is there. And it just becomes like this just ticking time bomb with a lot of that over arousal. So everyone should remember when we talked about, we've talked about trigger stacking as well. So there's a, yes, it's just all kind of builds. And so again, I think that that over arousal when that's happening all the time, then you've just got this just increased readiness that's constant. And that's not necessarily healthy for the dog either. Right. Dogs need to be able to learn how to like relax and chill out. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad we touched on that. Um, 
I feel like th that that is one of the traits of some of some of these dogs. And so it does impact the way that I train them Yes, and help clients train them. Well, and I think a lot of people look at that, maybe that haven't loved or worked with bully breeds or whatever, look at it, that as a negative, like that, that ability to arouse very quickly, um, where, you know, it's, it's who they are. <laughs> I mean, that's right. why we love the breeds that we do because they do the quirky things that we love about them. Um, and so I think that warrants people understanding that, Hey, this, this, they're not being bad. They're just being who they are. Like ethologically speaking, their genetics are saying like, Hey, we can be ready to go, you know, in like 10 seconds. Like we're ready to rock. Where are we going? Um, and I think a lot of people view that as maybe negative. They think oh, that arousal is a bad thing, which it's not. It can be redirected into some really awesome stuff <laughs> um, for sure. So I think, you know, in a, in a pet setting, so in a home setting, um, some of those behaviors that you talk about and some of that, that over arousal might look like, you know, pulling on the leash to get to something, um, you know, barking at, you know, a person walking by being really, um, you know, like maybe reactive towards a cat. <laughs> I mean, a lot of those behaviors that, that I think that we need to kind of consider when we bring any dog into our home, really. Um, so what do you think, Brian, is the, so if you had to look at, and we know that, you know, learning is learning, whether it's an alpaca or a dog or a human. Um, if you had to look at, at um, someone acquiring a bully breed from a shelter setting or whatever, because we have so many, uh, so many bully breed dogs in the shelters, unfortunately. I know around here, hounds too, a lot of hounds as well. Um, yeah. I think are like the most important things to work on. So you bring that dog home um, and you've talked about how over arousal, sometimes we want to keep them kind of under that. So what do you think are the biggest things to work on? I would say probably like one of the biggest on my list is uh, finding ways to manage that arousal and sort of prevent that rehearsal from happening. That yes. loop from starting. So a lot of times that is like, you know, what are those specific times where the dog is more likely to become overroused? If you have a cat in the home, maybe it's about uh, managing how those dogs, how that dog and that cat interact, or if there's other dogs in the home, it's managing the dog interactions. Right. Um, and I don't think that means like, necessarily like putting the dog in the crate all the time right but you do need to um dogs and this really goes for any dog i feel like we do need to be their guardian and we need to teach them how to live in this world yes. i think that goes back to the ethology piece that you're talking about mm -hmm. they were bred for this so we need to help them so a lot of that is the management side but i would also say enrichment i mean enrichment and I would define that in a very specific way of meeting the needs of the dog. My brain has shifted in how I think about enrichment. I used to think, oh, puzzle toys. And yes. you know, it's about needs. Yes. Oh, <laughs> um, yes. Say it again. Yes. <laughs> canine enrichment for the real world. Great book, if I can recommend it. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. That's where I first read that. Like, it's about meeting the needs of the dog. I was like, Yes, absolutely. So that's physical needs, emotional needs, social needs. Um, for some of these dogs, it's 
what does their enrichment look like? How often are they getting out for walks? Um, you know, are they, are they just a quick walks around the block? What do you do when it's cold? Yeah. Well, I think even that piece, Brian warrants, like, what would a walk look like? I mean, cause like you said, a walk around your mile urban setting is going to be very different for a dog that's hypervigilant about their environment versus yes. coming out to our house and walking, you know, 40 miles of no one or 40, sorry, 40 acres of no one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, if you're, it, it is the quality of the walks, right? If you're living in an urban setting and you're taking your dog out and they're constantly being triggered by other dogs that are walking and they're constantly over aroused and, you know, stressed all the time. That's not helping. So I have clients that even will take their dogs for walks in areas where there isn't that high traffic. Yes. It's like getting out on a long line, um, you know, obviously having the right safety measures in place of the harness and properly fit collar and all that's important, but giving them opportunities to explore, sniff around, do things that dogs need to do is really important. That's easy to do when you live out on 40 acres. Yes. So a lot of times it requires us to just change the way that we are providing uh, or the way that we're meeting their needs. So um, changing the environment for the dog. Um, I, one of the things that I really go to and I've, I feel like I've pulled more and more away from like training certain behaviors, like how to greet somebody at the door. Maybe what we do instead of like allowing the dog to go up to the door and act a fool, as I like to say, (laughs) these, a lot of these bully breeds are really strong chewers. And I have two myself, my jelly, she will tear apart one of those black Kongs in a matter of minutes. So like industrial Kongs around the house she gets a frozen food con when somebody comes over so that she doesn't practice that over arousal, doesn't yes. practice that crazy behavior. Um, so a lot of it's managing it's enrichment, but it's also managing the uh, interaction in the home. But, well, I think, I think it's like that alone. What a beautiful piece to give her. So she's rehearsing, being calm. Someone's coming in she's doing like a very mindful activity She's not practicing the behavior that we is not desirable to us. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, that's such a, and I think a lot of people say, well, the dog has to learn how to, you know, be at the door. You know what? I don't keep hogging dust in my fridge because I will eat it. There is management tools that we all use to make us successful. <laughs> and I think <laughs> that is just one example of, of how can we make this learner successful in this environment and less stressful to us. Cause I think it's so stressful to owners too, when people come over and a lot of people think that's like cheating sometimes of, you know, do treat scatter, treat scatter over there. Well, then they're not really learning to be at the door, but they are. <laughs> they that's are. exactly it. Yes. You're doing so much with such a simple um, approach. And that, I think that's the point. It needs to be simple. Yes. Because, yeah, we can go through, you know, a training and alternate behavior routine at the front door with a client or with our own dogs. But there's a lot of like steps that are in there. And do we really have the time to dedicate to that? And then, you know, I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. So I usually will go for what's the simple approach here to achieve yes. our objective. Yeah. 
for sure. I think the main thing that I would say though, with a lot of these dogs is I want to have help them learn how to be calm. <laughs> and I've run into some of these dogs that are, when I say some of these dogs, I am referring to, you know, dogs that are a little bit more high energy, high strung, right? A lot of that arousal happening Yep. to, to learn how to relax. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. And I think we overlook that a lot. Yes. Uh, I do a lot of map work with clients dogs, and I actually have integrated that into all my classes. So we start that puppy kindergarten. We do beginner skills. We break out the mat, um, which is especially needed in a class setting. (laughs) So they need that good balance of like learning how to relax, but then also getting some of that energy out, tearing it up. Right. When you think of a lot of these dogs, if their history was, not conducive to learning that skill. Now, you know, we know a lot of dogs in general relinquish during those teenage months. I mean, that's another layer to add to it, right? That they haven't ever learned what relaxation looks like. (laughs) Um, And now they're teenagers. So they have a very undeveloped prefrontal cortex. And now they have to learn that skill later in life. So I think that, yeah, they're, oh, that's such a fabulous skill. And not like, you know, the, the, like you and I would agree that it's not that like stationing, stationing behavior, but like, Hey, go out and chill out. Like, what does this look like to just go on a mat and chill? (laughs) You know, you are not putting you there all the time. You're learning to actually relax on it. Yeah. And if you reinforce that behavior, you know, and are creative about how you do that and really help the dog generalize that you can create, you can, you can re- help them recreate that skill in other contexts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, going out, let's pray for warm weather, going out to an outdoor restaurant, right? Yeah. <laughs> and people and people will bring their dogs to those settings. And that is an incredible skill to be able, for a dog to be able to like just chill and relax while human is enjoying their food, right? Um so there's a lot of different uses for capturing calmness or teaching relaxation. Yeah. So Brian, if someone was to bring, let's say they just adopted a dog um, it, and this could be applicable to any dogs, of course, not just fully breed dogs, but so what do you think would be like the top three things you'd start working on? I think the, the mat work and, and I think capturing calm, actually, I'm going to let you explain that. Cause I've talked about this on the podcast. So, um, so capturing calm is a little bit different than like teaching a skill. So can you talk about that for a minute? Like what would that look like? They just brought a dog home. Um, what behaviors would you start capturing? Um, so when we talk about capturing calmness, we're talking about those moments throughout the day. And there are those where the dog is just like in a relaxed position, you know, down, you know, they're either laying down <laughs> for some of these gregarious bully breed dogs they may be just like spoiled out floor, right and i will use um i will use markers and capture that and provide a reinforcer for the dog when i see that um, capturing is an incredible way to help reinforce behaviors because you're not cueing the behavior right the dog offers the behavior on their own they're just laid out and yes, just, yes good job I call it lazy dog training. We don't really have yeah. to do 
much. <laughs> it's, it's perfect because you don't have to be like, oh, I've got to do my training session in five minutes and then I've got another one planned. To... No one, I mean, I shouldn't say no one. Not a lot of people can do that. No, I don't <laughs> even do that. Throughout the busy day, yeah. So you're like on break from work. It's, it's, you're taking your lunch break and you just go over and you can start capturing behavior. Um, and you really work on, you know, initially we start capturing on the mat, but then you can start doing it around the house. And yeah. so the dog learns over time that that behavior of being calm, being relaxed is, can be reinforced. Mm -hmm. Typically when I do this, I don't use clickers because I found that when you're doing that with clickers, there's just an excitatory response. Yes. So I just have like a calm marker word that I use and yep. to capture it. So um, that would be the first, that would be one of the first things on my list, but I usually will start with those enrichment needs that I talked about. So if I'm bringing a dog home for the first time, I'm looking at, okay, how do I start meeting some of these needs? Yep. What is the dog communicating? What do they need? And then start checking those boxes off the list. Yes. And if there is, you know, a constant over arousal happening, looking at, okay, what are the situations where the dog's becoming over aroused? How can I, you know, eliminate rehearsal of that whole, you know, behavior, those emotions behind that that are driving it and then provide that enrichment in other areas to meet those needs. And then, start helping a dog learn how to be calm around the home. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to do the capturing calmness thing unless you're without meeting needs, right? If you've like the physical needs of the dog. Yes. Oh, hand in hand. Absolutely. Yeah. You're yeah. just spinning the wheels there. So it's really, it's, it's, it's a multi-pronged approach. Yeah. I feel like our whole field has really opened their eyes to that piece. Um, especially the last couple of years that, that is just such a, underutilized piece of husbandry on our part we haven't always been good about I think now it's finally we're finally looking at at this captive animal we have in our house and how do we meet their needs so I love that you really emphasize that yeah and I I often say because I have a client that has um it's not it's not a bully dog but it's it's kind of this mixed um you know shepherdy herding dog herding yep I know <laughs> yeah and she calls him the warrior dog. <laughs> and when I, we first started working together, it was like really long walks to try and like burn off all that energy. And we kind of realized we we're creating a bit of a Navy seal, mm -hmm. right? Because it was like, the dog's like, I need to go out on my six mile walk today. And I was like, this is not sustainable. I'm an ultra marathoner now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do we want to go this path? And um, the client just really started taking in this idea of enrichment and meeting those needs in those different areas and found, you know, brain games and puzzle games for the dog. And, you know, what does appropriate play look like with other dogs? And I mean, the progress has been fantastic. Um, and it was, again, this multi-pronged approach. It wasn't just like, let's train, you know, an alternate behavior for every single thing. And, you know, that just was not plausible. Yeah. Um, and you do, so you can create a little bit more of a monster in those scenarios. Yep. <laughs> so. Well, and there's not that balance of physical and mental. You're just doing physical, like, exercise. Mm -hmm. Well, gosh, Brian, that, that 
is so awesome. You know, I love, and I'm going to steal this that I think I wrote down that size and strength has no, um, no capacity for, I mean, that doesn't affect their capacity for learning. I love that. I mean, you and I have friends that train polar bears and, you know, stellar sea lions and crocodiles and, and there's really no, yeah, yeah. Butterflies. Um, I mean, so there's really no reason that you need more force by any means for dogs that are stronger. That's just such an exception. Gosh, I think it, the one thing I would just want to say really quick, it's we don't like learning that way either. Yeah. Right? Yes. And that's a good way to think about it. Like if you go to your job and your boss is always yelling at you about all these things that you did wrong, half the time you don't even know what the things are. Okay. That's not fun. There's nothing there's nothing happy and fun about that. Learning is not a fun experience. So um, that's why I do advocate for reward-based training. Yes. Oh, so many reasons. I mean, that could be a whole nother three hour conversation. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, gosh, Brian, thank you so much. And we'll have to do this again. There's so many other things that we could, we could chat about. Um, but I appreciate this. And I'm going to link your, your um, website in the notes. And I think the canine enrichment for the real world, that's an awesome book. I don't think I've put that up there. Um, yeah. So I think the biggest pieces to kind of take away are really meeting the dog's needs, capturing calm are just some really great ways to just start the process, um, in creating, creating a dog that's just like comfortable and in their, in their own environment. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Yes.